0: who's the most famous person you ever met? In 2010, uh, Jennifer and I were, uh, we were flying to San Diego, but we had to fly through Chicago. We changed planes in Chicago. And so there we were uh, about to board our next plane at the Midway Airport when this man begins to walk right toward us at the gate. And I look at Jennifer and say, hey, that guy looks just like Bill Murray. And Jennifer leans over and says, that is Bill Murray. <laughs> and sure enough, we spend three hours on a Southwest Airlines flight, sitting two seats behind Bill Murray. And the whole, y'all, the whole time on the way there, I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think of something clever that I can say to him. You know, like Ghostbusters reference or something. Uh, I did shake his hand after we landed, but I did I avoided embarrassing myself. I, I think I played it really cool. <laughs> you know what's interesting? If you have never met a celebrity, he probably wasn't as tall as you imagined him to be or she didn't you know she didn't really have the same glamour and glow that uh, that she has on screen when you met her in real life. And it just tends to happen because the truth is these people are famous, yes, but they're just regular people like the rest of us. Well, today, as we look in John chapter 1, as we finish John chapter 1 today, um, we're going to get snapshots of several different men who encounter Jesus and become his disciples. And they all encounter Jesus in different ways, we'll see. But it becomes clear to each of them that they are not dealing with, with just an ordinary guy. They're not dealing with someone who is uh, famous in some sense, but not really all he's cracked up to be. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Most of these people encounter Jesus in a normal kind of way, but then they get a lot more than what they bargained for. Now, I'm going to say it up front as we read. These encounters, they don't jump off the page as spectacular. I mean, it all reads as fairly ordinary stuff, but there's so much for us to gain as we as we look at John's words um, about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, how we come to him, and what we find when we do. And so I want us to walk through this together. This is uh, John chapter 1, verse 35, and we're going to read um, on through the end of the chapter here and finish chapter 1 today. Y'all, if you, were, if you were part of our uh, worship time last week, we we had John the Baptist declaring to everyone that Jesus is the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. John says, Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? And, and so picking up on that, we see in verse 35, uh, the final little piece of John the Baptist's place in this chapter. And again, the next day, we're told, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, what we have early on in this section, we have John the Baptist doing the same thing we saw him doing last week. He's pointing people away from himself, and he's pointing them instead to Jesus. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Lamb of God. And John is so passionate about turning people to Christ that even some of John's own disciples leave him and go see about Jesus. And of course, John's not threatened by that. That was his goal. That was what he wanted to see. Y'all are following the wrong guy now. Follow him. Well, in this case, we have two men, two disciples. One is named Andrew, we find out, and the other one uh, is left unnamed. And there's some speculation here that this second unnamed disciple is actually the Apostle John, the one who is writing this gospel now years later, uh, because he was one of the 12 disciples, but he never refers to himself by name in his own gospel And so now that's just speculation, but it's at least possible that Andrew and John are here, the first two disciples, that leave John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And as they're following, Jesus turns to them and he says, what do you seek? What are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi. That's a term of honor. Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus says, come and see. And so they end up spending The day with him. Now, y'all, at the risk of reading too much into this, I, I want you to just think about this very simple invitation of Jesus. Come and see. Notice that Jesus does not say, when these men are essentially asking to follow him, Jesus does not say, okay, well, first, show me your credentials. Submit your resume for consideration. Drop and give me 20. No. What if Jesus had said, now listen, only the best and the brightest can be my disciples. So before I say yes, I've got I've to see what you can bring to the table. Maybe that might be how the world works. It might be how some leaders lead, but not Jesus. Jesus simply says, come and see. Y'all, nobody has ever been more humble and more approachable than Jesus Christ. Nobody. I mean we're and we're talking about the most significant person who's ever lived. If ever someone was was worthy of standing alone on the top of the hill, if everyone, if ever somebody was a true celebrity, Jesus, he's the most famous person who's ever existed. And yet, he did not distance himself from the rest of us. Jesus didn't look his nose down at us. He didn't surround himself with only the right kind of people who would preserve his good reputation. Now, when Jesus came, he came, in his own words, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, y'all, this is our weekly reminder. And I say it, I try to say it every week in some form or fashion because I know I desperately need to hear it. God does not love you on account of what you can offer him. God does not accept you on the basis of your past performance or even your future potential. He is a God of grace. And so when these two young men approach Jesus, Jesus in no way stiff arms them. He doesn't demand that they measure up and prove their worth. He simply says, come and see. That is a life-changing invitation. It reads very simply, come and you will see, Jesus says. Uh, and indeed they did. He invited them in, and they were never the same. And so what happens? If you, if you or I were to receive such a, an amazing invitation, what would we do? Well, obviously we'd follow Jesus, but we wouldn't stop there. We would want to share the same invitation with others. We would want to bring others along with us, and that's exactly how the story reads. Look at verse forty. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, and said to him, "We have found the Messiah," which translated means Christ. So he brought him. Andrew brought Simon. To Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter." Now, it's not clear in this precise moment what Jesus is doing—changing Simon's name to Cephas or Peter. Um, We know that later on, though, this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, We see it in Matthew chapter 16. Peter uh, confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. See, Jesus from the beginning sets Simon apart for a special purpose, and he gives him a new name corresponding to it. And y'all, this is not a nickname like Shorty or Slim. They didn't call him Cephas or Peter like as a, as a joke, as a fraternity nickname or something. No, this is a new name. It's a new name. And this is something that only God does. It was God, if we, if we remember from way back, it was God who renamed Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. It was God who renamed Jacob to Israel. This is, what God, this is God's business. If he wants to give you a new name corresponding to a new purpose, a covenant promise, then God can do it. And here Jesus, the Son of God, calls Simon by a new name. You are Cephas, or Peter. And that's what we're going to call you from now on. Well, verse 43, the next day, Jesus purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Okay, so we've seen already the first two disciples begin to follow Jesus because of John the Baptist. It was John's testimony pointing them to Christ. Then Peter comes at the urging of his brother, Andrew. But here's something we have not yet seen. Jesus specifically goes to Galilee to find Philip and he bids him follow me. Now we might be tempted to read something into this to say, well, Philip must have been extra special. What what could it be about Philip that Jesus would make a special trip just to find him? What sets him apart? But I don't think we're meant to read into the details like that. Um... Y'all, you know, there's there's a, a wide variety that we're being given as to how these men end up coming to Jesus. But at the bottom of it, whether they were brought there by somebody else, whether John points them there, whether Jesus comes and finds you, uh, at the bottom of all of it is the simple fact that Jesus chooses them. And that becomes clear as we go. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says it very plainly, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And so that's true for all of them, regardless of how they got there. And it's especially clear in Philip's case, because we see Jesus purposed to go to Galilee and found Philip. He didn't wander into Galilee, and there was someone there, and and Jesus randomly said, hey, you. Now, y'all, this is a this is a huge point, uh, and I'm going to say it very quickly, but it is huge. We should never, ever, ever think that God's activity is random or haphazard. Never. Or that God stumbles upon things that he didn't expect, or that Jesus, you know, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Now, we don't always understand what Jesus is doing we don't always see clearly what his purposes are but always he works always he acts according to his own good purpose he purposed to go to galilee and he found philip and philip became his disciple now we get to my favorite part of the section and this is uh, this is more or less the end of the chapter it's the calling of a man named nathaniel so, so for For summary's sake, we've got Andrew, we've got an unnamed disciple, possibly John, we've got uh, Simon Peter, who is now Cephas, and we've got Philip. Well, man number five here is Nathanael. Philip, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Philip says, We have found the Messiah who was promised to us in the Scripture. The law and the prophets spoke of this man, and here he is. He's here. His name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And you just—you have to love Nathaniel's response. It's maybe a little cynical, a little snarky, but it's totally honest. Nazareth can any good thing come from Nazareth you know both Jesus's birthplace Bethlehem and his hometown Nazareth they were both tiny villages little blips on the radar that were not that were of no great uh, repute or esteem nobody nobody vacationed in Nazareth or Bethlehem it was kind of these places were kind of like the butt of jokes, and that's what Nathaniel's reflecting here, Nazareth. And besides, there there were no Old Testament prophecies that spoke of Nazareth, uh, as far as I could tell. The word that the town Nazareth is not named in the Old Testament at all. Uh, this is not the the place where the Messiah is to come from in Nathaniel's mind. So how can how can anything good come from Nazareth uh, He's just saying out loud what everybody else was probably thinking Surely the Messiah couldn't come from a place like that But you, you notice how Philip Philip gives the very same invitation that we've already seen Jesus give he says come and see come and see and so he does and we see in verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now whenever Jesus pays someone a compliment, our ears should perk up. Here is a true Israelite, Jesus says of Nathaniel, one who honors the Lord and lives with honesty and integrity. In him there is no deceit. Wow, okay, well, what's Nathanael going to do here? Verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathan goes from skeptic to full-blown believer, immediately, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel is amazed that Jesus has the ability to see someone even when that person is otherwise alone. But you know, I, I think, I think there's more going on right here than meets the eye. Uh, there are a number of. Uh, Bible commentators who will point this out also, that there's something, something's going on that we may not readily see. That there's a strong connection between this conversation with Jesus and Nathaniel and the story of Jacob. Um, Jacob, his story is told in Genesis. Uh, he is the grandson of Abraham and he's the son of Isaac. Whenever we we read in the Bible, uh, talk about the patriarchs or the fathers, we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Jacob's a big deal. He's a hero of the faith. But we also know something about him that the Bible does not try to hide. That Jacob was a deceiver. The very name Jacob means deceiver. That that was his name. (laughs) And so that that way of, of being followed him around wherever he went, and he certainly lived up to his own namesake. His life was just one deception after another until God finally broke Jacob, humbled him, and renamed him. We mentioned that earlier. Jacob, you are no longer Jacob. You are now Israel, and he was named Israel. Uh, the covenant people of God, Israel, right? They are sons of Jacob. Now, when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he compliments him by using both names of Jacob. Think about what Jesus said. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. One of the old commentators actually translates this verse to reflect what's going on. As if Jesus is saying, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. How do you know me? Nathaniel says. And the response Jesus gives, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, the fig tree uh, was considered among the Jews a special place of meditation the fig tree is where a man would often go to sit underneath its shade and study the word of god to meditate on god's word and to pray in fact uh, there was a popular phrase that was used of meditation that if i'm if i'm going to get alone and meditate on god's word i'm going to sit under the fig tree even if i wasn't actually going to do something uh, that that thing uh, tangibly and practically, there may not be an actual fig tree in this case, but that's uh, that's synonymous with meditation and prayer. And so here this is what a number of scholars have put forth. I don't know this and I'm not saying for sure that this is true. I'm just sharing it because I think it's very interesting and I think it's at least possible. The theory is that Nathaniel was under the fig tree meditating on the story of Jacob. And Jesus says, I saw you there. Not just, I knew where you were geographically, but Jesus is saying, I was there with you. I know your heart. I hear your prayers. Now maybe that's true and maybe not. But it's interesting to note in this, in, the, in that precise moment, Nathaniel was not just impressed with Jesus; he begins to worship Jesus. You are the Son of God. That's not commonplace language. Nathaniel's using. He's, this, this is not a, a passing compliment. This is worship. Now, as a pastor, I don't often share. Theories like that. Uh, maybe it's an interpretive stretch. Okay? And, and maybe it is. Um, but I personally think there's something to it. There's at least it's at least worth exploring. I would encourage you to explore it on your own. And here's why. Because of what Jesus says right after that. It's, it's how the, the chapter ends. He makes a what what otherwise would seem like a pretty strange statement in the last two verses of this chapter. Look at verse 50. Jesus answered and said to Nathanael, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, that's a strange image for Jesus to give him. But it's not strange if we understand the reference. This is, Jesus is talking about what happens in Genesis 28 in the story of Jacob, where Jacob has a very famous vision of a ladder. It's a ladder that stretches from the earth all the way into heaven, and the angels of God are uh, ascending and descending on this ladder, and God speaks to Jacob in that moment, in that vision, and God affirms his covenant promises to him. Well, then Jacob wakes up and he says, Surely God is in this place, and I did not know it. And Jacob named that place Bethel, Bethel, which means house of God. Well, now Jesus says to Nathanael, you, Nathaniel, you will see heaven opened and the angels descending and ascending, not on a ladder, but on me, on the Son of Man. See, Jacob's conclusion back in Genesis was, this is the place where God dwells. This is a special place. But Jesus is now saying something far more significant and far more eternally wonderful. That God has not chosen to dwell in a certain place, but God has chosen to dwell in a person. In the person of Jesus Christ, the person to whom you are speaking right now. I am the way, Jesus says. He is the way by by which sinful human beings may come to God. Because Jesus Christ has come, the heavens have been opened to sinners who trust him. Nathanael, you will see the true fulfillment of what Jacob saw only in shadows. Y'all, we've we've only finished chapter one (laughs) at this point. It's just chapter one. And I think it's interesting as we conclude this first chapter of John, uh, G- there are no recorded sermons that Jesus has preached at this point. No real recorded miracles, although certainly Jesus has, has um, revealed his miraculous power. We just saw it with Nathaniel. But no major miracles yet. We'll see one next week, water into wine. And so, you know, in some sense, we haven't seen just a... a a ton of action up to this point, and yet John has made it abundantly clear already that we are not dealing with an exalted man. We are dealing with God in the flesh. God in the flesh. This is, John says, the light of the world who has come to shine in the darkness. He is the Savior who has come to make us God's dear children. He is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And He is now, He is the ladder by which heaven itself is opened up to us. He is God come down so that He might bring us to God by His grace. Now, I want you to think about this as we close. When we come to Jesus as His disciples, We find in Jesus a lot of great things. He is our perfect example. He's our moral compass. Jesus is a great teacher, the best teacher. He's a compassionate friend. He's a a light that guides our steps. He's all of those things and many more. But above all of those things and far above all, Jesus has come to make us alive to God. He has not come merely to teach us or to guide us, to help us along. No, he has given us a new life in his name that never ends. And so Jesus, y'all, I want you to see this when we talk about discipleship. Uh, Jesus doesn't recruit people to walk behind him. That was never his goal. Jesus does not recruit people to walk behind him. Jesus comes to save us so that we might be with him forever. And so my hope as we finish chapter one and as we head, head into uh, chapter two, my hope as we consider who Jesus is and how he calls us to himself, that we would just thank the Lord for this privilege, for how utterly gracious he is to us to look upon us sinful and unworthy as we are and not to demand that we prove ourselves and make our own way. But he says to us, come and see, follow me. You'll see greater things than you can imagine because I am truly the son of God and we now belong to him by faith. Let's pray and thank the Lord that this is true. Father, we ask this morning uh, that you will um, bring this home to our hearts. That we are uh, privileged. That we are infinitely blessed if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Lord, we're, we're not on an improvement plan. Um, we're not just, you know, rubbing shoulders with a celebrity or seeking out something interesting or hoping for better circumstances. Lord, we're, we have found the Son of God. Or better yet, He's found us. He has sought us and saved us. And so we thank you, Lord, that to be Jesus' disciple is nothing less than to know you. And to be uh, united with, uh, with you, Lord, forever. To be called your child. Lord, thank you that um, that when you sent your son to save us, Lord, you had no ambition to try to clean us up first. To check our credentials at the door. To make sure we were worthy. Lord, that your ambition was to come to the very lowest uh, place in our deepest darkness and save us entirely. Lord, thank you for the the examples that we see today of Andrew and uh, Simon Peter and Philip and Nathaniel and one unnamed, Lord, all these men. Who were nothing special of themselves, uh, who were I, I, I have to imagine were were not in any way very different than us at all, and yet Jesus chooses them, and later we'll see that He appoints them that they may go into the world and bear much good fruit, and show the world what it is to know You, Father, through Your Son, and thank You, Lord, that we get the same privilege to walk with Christ, to be his, to belong to him by faith, and to, uh, to say to the world around us, come and see, come and see for yourself. What, a, what an awesome grace you've given to us. We thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, that we would not take for granted all that we have as disciples of our Lord and Savior. So I ask uh, these things, to, um, to reside deeply within us and, and bring transformation as we walk day by day with Him. And it's in His name we ask it.